Hello and welcome. This is Self-Control, how to build a better life. The podcast that will inspire you to take control of your mind and your mindset to go forward and build the life that you deserve to live. I want to talk today about something that many of us do, some of us more than others. But the truth about this thing, this way of thinking, the more you do of it, the worse your life becomes, all areas of your life. The truth is you might not be doing it deliberately. You might not choose to do this all the time. But what is this show about? Self-control. If we can choose how to think, life gets better. This toxic, weakening, disruptive behavior affects everything from our sleep to our family reunions. What am I talking about? Despair. And one of the most insidious things about despair is that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you choose negativity, if you choose pessimism, if you choose to see yourself as lesser than, if you choose to not see a better life in the future for yourself, then that's the life you get. Our time here on earth is short. So if you spend that time building a pit of despair for yourself, you might as well jump in because that's what you're gonna get. Okay, but what is despair exactly? Despair comes from the Latin word de sperari, meaning down from hope. It's the absence of hope. It's that constant voice you hear telling you to worry about everything you see on TV and everything that comes across your newsfeed. It's that voice that tells you to expect the worst because that's a lot easier than getting your hopes up and being disappointed or looking stupid. In today's episode, let's talk about despair. What does it mean? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Why do we choose despair? Why do we choose to not hope for a better life? I'll break down the unbelievable amount of consequences of despair and pessimism and negativity. And some of these surprise me a lot. And I'll offer you a three-step solution to improve your mental health, improve your quality of life by reducing despair. Of course, we're not gonna be able to get rid of all your despair, all of your negativity, all of your pessimism. Mine didn't go away in one day but we're going to be able to take a big, big bite out of it. Through self-control, much is possible, especially a better life. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was maybe three or four years old, or however old you are when you're in preschool, play school, pre-K, whatever you want to call it, I would cry and scream every single day for weeks on end that my mother would drop me off at school. And I know it took a toll on my mom too when she tells this story. It's like, we're driving down the road, Taking Patrick to school, she's white-knuckling the steering wheel like, my God, he's going to lose his mind again. He's going to start crying. He's going to scream. All the other parents are going to look at me. The teachers are going to go, oh, gee, thanks. Send him in to us. But one day, out of nowhere, we're driving to school. And I say to my mom, you know what, mom? I'm not going to cry anymore. Now, fast forward 15, 16 years, I'm in a car again. And if you know Canada, you know the trip from Kelowna, BC to Edmonton, Alberta, it's quite a long one. And I was getting over a breakup, my first girlfriend, and somewhere on that highway between BC and Alberta, I thought to myself, when I get back home, I'm done. I'm not going to cry anymore. Just a few months or not even a month after that moment on the highway, my best friend passed away suddenly earth-shattering. The bottom dropped out. But not long after, I remember sitting or standing, hopefully standing, (laughs) unless I was really racked by despair, standing in the shower thinking, I'm going to get over this. I'm going to get through this. 
Now, I tell you this because I think that I am someone who normally or naturally skews towards optimism. I choose to believe that better is possible, even though I've experienced many negative things as we all have, you know, for, for the trauma that I've had, and there was some, for the setbacks, for the failures, for the shortcomings, I choose to maintain hope and optimism, even if it's after a period of despair. And this is one of the most insidious things about despair, about that lack of hope, about that lack of belief in better. Quite often, it takes over and we don't realize that on some level we are choosing to feel this way. We are choosing to think this way. I cried for weeks having to go to preschool. Probably the same thing when me and my first girlfriend broke up. Definitely cried after my best friend died. So for some amount of time, I think it's only fair to ourselves to understand and to accept that despair can become all-consuming. It can take over. Now I would say... If you're dealing with deep, deep despair and you've had suicidal thoughts, please, please reach out to qualified professionals, suicide hotlines, therapists. I can tell you no matter what has happened, it is not worth taking your own life over. But right now, you need to ask yourself, am I choosing despair? And I I don't want excuses, just an honest answer. You don't need to change what you're doing on my accord. I'm just a guy on YouTube. And it's probably comfortable there in your POD, your pit of despair, that is. I get why you'd want to stay in there. There's no disappointment if there's no hope. But there's probably not much joy either. Is there a lot of smiling and laughing going on in the POD, in the pit of despair? So, are you choosing to believe that there's nothing to hope for? Understand that despair, that way of thinking, choosing to have no hope, choosing to not feel good about the future, choosing not to feel good about where you are, it's a coping mechanism. And interestingly enough, the word cope The word cope actually comes from the Greek root, which means to clobber with your fist. So your despair is a way for you to rage against the world, to do battle against the world. You know, you're telling yourself the world is no good and I have to fight against it. You're telling yourself that the big bad world has nothing to offer me and so I have nothing to offer in return. This is a direct reflection, I believe, of low self-esteem or low self-efficacy. You don't hold yourself in high enough regard and you don't see yourself as competent to do anything anyway. Yes, life can be difficult. You're saying that the world is bigger than you and you can't handle it. But another hallmark of despair and pessimism is our tendency to magnify problems. Could it be that in your despair, as a way to cope, you've made the world, you've made these problems much, much bigger than they truly are. And as a result, you've shrunk yourself. So I've said this before on this show, but it bears repeating. If you have serious mental illness, depression, anxiety, bipolar, post-traumatic stress disorder, I'm not saying that this way of thinking, this podcast in general, is going to be a way for you to be cured. This is not a silver bullet. This is not a one-stop cure-all. I would like to think that this is a tool that you can add to your toolkit, but do not stop doing whatever it is you're doing that also works. Let's be clear. If you have lost control of how you choose to see yourself in the world, or see the world generally, that is a cognitive bias. You have chosen a pessimistic interpretation. So by that same token, it's still up to you if you'd like to at least try to regain control of how you see things. Of course, it's easy to look around and see numerous things to despair about. The economy is in shambles. Violence at an all-time high wherever we look. The president just fell down again. Elon Musk is putting microchips in people's brains. What kind of a future are we building? It's easy. 
Count all your failures. Why don't you do it? You're stuck in a dead-end job. You miss the promotion. They don't respect you. You're getting bullied. Another failed relationship. Somebody ghosted you. Somebody walked out on you. Somebody cheated on you. Or you might be totally burned out from caring for your kids, caring for a sick relative. You might be giving so much emotional energy to all these things that there's nothing left for yourself and you're drained and you're exhausted. But at the end of the day, it's your interpretation. There's plenty of people, I'm sure, who've had it worse than you, who despair less than you. I once had a very, very agitated and depressed friend tell me that that's the last thing you should say to somebody, is that it could get worse. Well, I'm not telling you it can get worse. I'm saying it's been a lot worse for other people and they choose positivity. So what's the difference between you and them? They just chose differently. And you may say, well, I'm choosing to see things negatively, all right? But you're here watching this show with the title, How to Build a Better Life. So why not realize that in the same way that you've chosen a pessimistic interpretation, you can, over time, through practice, choose a positive interpretation. You can reclaim that cognitive bias and change it for the better. I'll give you another quick anecdote here. When I first started this show, I interviewed Vic Pipke, and Vic was a police officer, a SWAT team member. And he spoke very, very eloquently about what despair does to a person, specifically how despair can develop in a police officer. Let's listen to Vic real quick. A police officer's mindset is toxic and it is, it is potentially devastating to him or her and their family. Okay. But it's necessary. Hmm. Because every day when you wake up as a police officer, hmm. you have to assume the worst in every human being that you encounter that day so that you can increase the chances that you get to go home. Mm. Now, at the beginning of your career, it starts out as just, you know what, I just don't trust the bad guys that I deal with every day. Right. But then it starts to grow into this insidious kind of beast mm. where you think everyone is evil. Mm. And I know so many cops that they will say 100%, the world is evil. I hate people. I don't like being around people. Mm. And that's why... Most police officers only hang around with other police officers because we get it, ah, mm -hmm. right? We get it. We live the same life. Interesting. But when I was able to step away, and, and that's why you know I've, I've said I've said a million times before that mm -hmm. my my injury that that just about killed me that that ended the career that I dreamed about since I was five years old. Mm -hmm. That was a major major upset in my life. It was actually the best blessing in my life. Yeah. I was going to ask you if maybe, yeah. do you now in retrospect see that as being like mercy or, or salvation or not even a word that big, but was it a chance for you to maybe have a new lease on life? You know what? I, 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 I've never used those words, but mm -hmm. I think you're a hundred percent right. It was. So right there, you're seeing the hallmarks of despair, negative experiences, trauma, stress, narratives being fed to us. Our experiences now feed back into that isolation, that loss of faith in humanity and that tendency to cloister into a cluster of other people battling with despair. Now, if you listen to that episode, you know that Vic is no longer doing police work. He's doing financial consulting. And I think probably by his own words, he'd say that that despair is less and less a part of his life. And even at the time, I had no business telling Vic how to think or what to say. And just the same as I have no business doing that to you. I can't tell you what to think. I can't tell you how to feel. But let's be quite clear, despair will no doubt worsen your mental health problems if it's not the root cause already. Once more, despair will exacerbate or worsen your mental health conditions if it's not the root cause already. 
So where I can choose, where you can choose, let's choose hope. So as far as solutions go, that was already number one, awareness. Become mindful of your despair, of your pessimism, of your negativity, of your lack of hope. Call it what it is and accept that it's a part of your life. Do you feel drained? Do you feel exhausted? Do you feel detached? Are you isolating? Do you feel like there's no future for you? Do you feel stuck in the present? You got to feel it all and not run from it. Less numbing, more becoming. And it may hurt, but that's the beginning of healing. The first step does not involve change. And especially not because some Canadian on a podcast told you to. You just have to acknowledge and accept it. It's like, hey, I don't have hope for the future. Life's too big for me. I'm a worm. Okay, now with that out of the way, let's move to get that toxic thinking under control. That is, if you want to. The next step is going to be writing or somehow recording your despair-related thoughts. We've acknowledged that they exist. So now let's see how deep this POD, this pit of despair, let's see how deep it really is. Start a journal, start a podcast, start a blog, start a vlog. Imagine that, a podcast about despair. How uplifting. And you don't have to release it. Nobody has to listen to it. But you have to get those thoughts out of you to see them for what they are. You truly have to feel them to heal them, but you also got to see them to know what you're working with. Simply start recording your thoughts in a way that works for you. Journaling, speaking voice notes into your phone, videos on your phone, as long as you're going to go back and listen to them or watch them or read them. And if you're not sure where to start, here's the three questions I would ask yourself. Number one, how am I eating? Number two, how am I sleeping? And number three, am I pursuing any activities, hobbies, or social engagements? And if your answers to these questions are simply going to be like shit, like shit, and no, you might say, well, this is only going to make my problem worse. Great, now I've got a month's worth of despair in my hand I can look back on. I'm still waiting to die, a worm in this big bad world that's rolling over me. And this is what's called learned helplessness. And I think you're bigger than that. You just learned that from all these setbacks and all these failures, you are powerless. But that's a choice and it's a hard choice to stop making. It's not going to happen overnight. But again, let's call it out. Let's look at it. Let's accept it. And let's start to work on it brick by brick. I myself have practiced some learned helplessness in my past. You know, there was times when I, I failed in relationships or I failed at school or I was bullied by people I considered friends. Over time, that soaks in. It seeps in. It eats away at your self-image. But Lucky you, you now have me to tell you that it doesn't have to be that way if you don't let it. But I can't tell you what to think. I can't tell you how to act. I can only offer you the belief that life does get better if you choose self-control, if you choose how to think. You must accept the invite to grow. On the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel is a painting called The Creation of Adam. And in it, it depicts God reaching out to Adam. And what you'll notice in that painting, and I didn't come up with this myself, by the way, but I'd like to share it. God's finger is outstretched fully and completely, whereas Adam's finger is not quite fully extended. What some people have suggested this means, or what I'm going to tell you that I think maybe it might mean, <laughs> is that we as living, breathing human beings need to extend ourselves fully towards something greater. I'm not telling you you have to believe in God. That's not what it's about. It's represented by God in the painting, but the world is fully open to you if you're willing to reach out 
and touch it, reach out and grab it. So in the painting, Adam is not, or he's not yet, and I'm not sure the implications of this, but realize that you yourself need to accept the invitation to grow. The world is reaching out to you fully. It's up to you to take that final step. And did I not just give you three easy ways to start? Like if you're so deep in the POD, the pit of despair, you can at least start to think about how are you eating, how are you sleeping, and what in God's name are you doing with your time? Again, all this supposes that you're here watching a show called How to Build a Better Life, and I'm trying to offer you some kind of foothold, some kind of place to start. Now, if you're a little bit further along, you might be able to say, okay, I can at least go to the grocery store, I can buy the food that I know is good for me, I can come up with a meal plan, I can at least start feeding myself properly. Yes, I'm a worm, yes, the world is big and mean and it's rolling over me, but, you know, I could still have a good meal every now and then. And of course, sleep, the foundation of feeling better, the foundation of feeling good, the foundation of being a human being. You know, you can, you can, there's an unlimited amount of research available to you as to how you can improve your sleep. The effects of blue light, the effects of stimulants, you know, do you need to be wearing a certain kind of clothes? Do you need to have the room cool? You need to have a bedtime routine. You need to maybe try cold showers. You need to maybe exert yourself. Look, Yes, you're a worm. Yes, the world is rolling over you. But why not take on a little bit of a challenge for yourself and say, I can't do anything outside of the house, but maybe I can get my eating and my sleeping in order. And finally, you know, when the time is right, you may try an activity. You could still be in the house or you could be doing it alone. You know, I'm going to get into Play-Doh sculptures or I'm going to get into bottle cap art, whatever it looks like. All of this supposes that you have been writing in your journal, been starting that discussion with yourself and asking, how am I sleeping? Well, some days better than others. Okay, that's something to build off. How am I eating? Well, I, you're in full control of how you eat for the most part. Take control. There's an example. There's an invitation to take control. Life's hard. You might as well eat well. And don't be afraid of rest. You know, something that was told to me by somebody who was suffering a pretty bad physical condition, they said that, you know, when you're healing, when you're hurting, you need a lot of rest. And Look, if you're deep in the POD, deep in the pit of despair, you might as well try and get some rest down there, right? Like, I picked sleeping and eating specifically because those can be foundational for how we feel. And now going forward, I want to talk about how despair actually affects us on a physiological, a psychological, and a physical level. It gets into our being and changes who we are. Eating and sleeping is your chance to start fighting back against the evils that despair is doing to your body, the evils that your own thoughts are doing to your physical body. So let's remember that if you're choosing despair, you can at least choose how you're going to cope with it. And as we talked about, cope means to rain down blows. So in those blows that you're going to rain down on the world, you'll soon become bigger and stronger and realize you don't need to fight anymore. And there's a good chance that you're like me when I was five years old going to preschool and my mom abandoned me every morning but then somehow came back and I would wail and cry all day long. You're probably choosing despair not because it's right but because it's easier. So when we're fed pessimistic narratives by the media or like Vic and his policeman friends, repeated stressful negative experiences seep into who we are and inform the way we look at the world or when we decide it's just easier not to act because of repeated failures we leave very little possibility for the room to grow although i wasn't going to tell vic that in that pessimistic ecosystem that you have built your judgment and your problem solving have failed you and your magnifying of every little thing into something incomprehensibly bad has led you astray in fact it is proven that 
despair, repeated pessimism, repeated negativity warps our cognitive faculties, warps our ability to problem solve, warps our judgment in favor of that kind of thought. Talk about a pessimistic ecosystem. Talk about a pit of despair that you have built by your own thinking. But by that token, you can think yourself out. And so the final step then is to be mindful of just how this has happened to you. Go back to your journal. Go back to your phone. Go back to your video camera. Turn it on and speak. Ask yourself, if there's no hope, can I still behave as if I can grow in the face of that? If I'm still a worm, can I at least still grow as a worm? Can I break these chains? Can I at least feel better physically? Existential dread notwithstanding. Could it be that maybe there are people who might like to see me? Could it be that I've weakened myself with my beliefs? Have I chosen to write my negative experiences out into the world at large and thereby created a feedback loop where now repeated negativity continues to persist in my life? Have I built a safe haven of pessimism and negativity that has really only robbed me of joy, stolen my ability to find meaning, or even stolen my ability to simply be me, to become me, to get to know myself? Can I go into the world and at least try could I go back to school? Could I try for a new job? Could I try for a promotion? Could I try to speak up? Could I get a dog? Could I get a cat? Could I get a fish? Something to give me some responsibility and meaning? Could I take on that hobby? Can I at least go back to that journal and say, how am I eating? How am I sleeping? Can I take control of something? Am I willing to even do that amount of work? And if you're still in that pit of despair, but you're willing to climb out, then your work is cut out for you. One step, one moment at a time, mindfully realize the thoughts you are having and examine them. Mindfully examine the thoughts that you're having. Realize when you are thinking these hopeless thoughts. You don't have to change like that. Simply examine those thoughts. And the more you come to consciously, mindfully see them as part of your life, the easier it will be to change them one at a time. You've lost someone you love. All right. Can you learn to live without them while still cherishing their memory? You're in debt or you're not making enough money. What is the constructive solution here? Remember, despair has warped your problem solving. It's warped your judgment. Take that for a spin and think, okay, I'm in the hole financially. In the pit of despair, in the POD, there's not a lot of money. What would it look like? What could I reasonably do? Traumatic experiences have scarred you. Is it maybe time for some kind of therapy? Is it time to start talking about it? Is it time to apply this same process to that trauma? Admit it, accept it, become aware of it. Talk about it, write about it, think about it, and then mindfully attend to it in the present. Remember, very likely, like I did, you've built this ecosystem out of negativity, but that means you can tear it down. That negativity, it's warped your judgment, it's warped your problem solving. You'll need to admit this, you'll need to begin recording, reading, listening to your thoughts, and see them for what they are, your thoughts. And then, you're invited at that point to mindfully take on some work in the present. Attend to those thoughts one at a time. Disbelieve them improve them choose the thoughts you want you can fill up this pit of despair 
with new constructive thinking. And it's not gooey, sappy, everything's all right, everything feel good BS that you don't really believe. It's constructive and it's open to the possibility that it can get better. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please, please, until we speak again, feel free to get in touch on Facebook. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And please remember that better is possible.